0: Thank you for listening to the following film's podcast. In the 1970s, five men struggling with being gay in their evangelical church started a Bible study to help each other leave the homosexual lifestyle. They quickly received over 25,000 letters from people asking for their help, and they formalized as Exodus International, the largest and most controversial conversion therapy organization in the world. But leaders struggled with a secret, their own, same-sex attractions, never went away. After years as Christian superstars in the religious right, many of these men and women have come out as LGBTQ, disavowing the very movement they helped start. Focusing on the dramatic journeys of former conversion therapy leaders, current members, and a survivor, Pray Away chronicles the ex-gay movement's rise to power, persistent influence, and the profound harm it causes. The film will be available on August 3rd, on Netflix. And I highly recommend you check it out. Big thank you to Jessica for taking the time to talk to me about the film. Thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring the show. And as always, thanks to Fort Worth for letting me use the song at the end. It's always that awkward moment when you can see each other before the zoom audio connects. So you have to sit there and kind of just wait before you speak for a second. I haven't, I haven't figured out how to nail that yet.
1: Yeah, that's, that's definitely a new part of this environment. <laughs> how are you doing today? Doing well, yeah. Um, I just told someone have a good weekend at the end of a meeting, and it's only Tuesday, so if that's any indication. <laughs>
0: um, I, I mean, we've been in this sort of perpetual weekend or Monday for the last 16 months, depending on how you look at it. So, yeah, I, I think have a good weekend is suitable. I mean, I'm in my <laughs> workspace right now so yeah I think it makes sense sure why not
1: <laughs> yeah
0: and so th- thank you for taking the time to do this day I really appreciated it um, because this is a film that I've been wanting to talk about for a while this is every once in a while documentaries come around where it's just you realize this is something that we need not only for to express what has happened in our immediate past so it's not forgotten but to help understand where we currently are. And I think that's what this film does perfectly.
1: Hmm. Thank you.
0: I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about when you first became aware of conversion therapy,
1: Well, I grew up evangelical and queer, though unbeknownst to me at the time in Florida. Um, So I was aware of most of the leaders featured in our film and their work while they were still active in ex-gay movement. Um, And even during college, like I went with a couple of friends who were then like identified as same-sex attracted or LGBTQ in some way who were like, Punk rock and leading worship at these kind of group conversion therapy ministries in Florida, though I still didn't understand myself as queer, um, which is like as closeted as it gets, basically. (laughs) Um, So so it was it was really a part of my life growing up and. Uh, an executive producer that we work with who was an advisor to Christine Salakis the director of Pray Away knew that I you know had this background and like I'm always kind of coming out as a former evangelical in in like our queer and film spaces and he was like I have just been advising this director who has a film that you are going to like you have to produce and you know it's annoying when you hear that sometimes. And then I really trust him and I got connected with Christine and she had just kind of profiles of the different leaders she had access to at that point and had been researching and developing for about a year and a half or two years. And I was just like, wow, she has like, some of the most influential leaders, she has access to them and she's approaching it with a real complexity that understands the way that um, this movement was led by LGBTQ folks and is an example of like internalized homophobia wielded outward and it had that kind of sensitivity rather than a a sensationalism that, you know, I saw in a lot of other sort of coverage of, of the movement.
0: Well, that's, it, it, that's immediately apparent by the way the film opens because I had expectations in my mind of i had only seen sensational coverage in 80s and 90s, you know, because I, I think we're probably around the same age. I'm 45. And so I was a teenager kind of in the height of this, you know, in this moment of time. And so I was aware of Springer interviews, things like that. And it just it was this thing where I was fortunate enough to be raised in an environment where it was that's nonsense that, that doesn't don't don't take that on as your own thinking about this this is not something that is really it's not correct but at the same time this is a philosophy and so it had this acceptance that was um even though we knew that it was wrong it was something that was pretty widely accepted at this point in time um but you start the film with somebody who's in the middle of this going through the throes of this and i thought that was such a smart way of humanizing something that is rightfully demonized, but it's not understood, if that makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a real misunderstanding of the motivations of LGBTQ folks, um, LGBTQ people of faith who are trying to find a way to be who they are in community. And um, I think someone in the film, maybe Julie even says like that Exodus conference was one of the first places she felt accepted because she could be her queer self and, and, and in her faith. And like, there mm-hmm. is, there remains this tension in, in queer spaces around faith and in faith spaces, obviously and rejecting queer stuff. Um, so it, so it's a tension, but in terms of opening with, with Jeffrey, we, we really want to show, you know. A, that this movement is continuing. A a lot of what we were hearing in production um, and in the trajectory of making this was like a real lack of understanding from people, um, particularly in like New York, LA, kind of coastal liberal film circles and, and stuff that like, this is this even happening anymore is this like the most urgent lgbt issue that we need to be dealing with as though we like have to pick one um and and we really wanted the film to show like this is alive and thriving it looks it looks differently it's evolving with our culture over time it it, jeffrey's Jeffrey's work is more you know in the streets meeting people where they are it's it's more you know ecumenical in terms of faith it's more diverse racially and in terms of Mm -hmm. class and in terms of gender um like what it means to be male or female and and the range of expressing that even if they're still operating on a binary but it doesn't it, it it's still asking you to change as like a part of participating in that. So we, yeah, we wanted to bring attention to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so important because I'm, I, I guess just that experience of being one of those ignorant people that's, this is still going on. Then it makes sense in this, when you think of the fear that was used for fundraising with um, gay, bisexual, homosexual, and now that's moved into trans and that phobia, because it's kind of at this point, it seems. Even if it's not fully accepted by everyone, it's just kind of, well, there's nothing we can do at this point. So we need to move on and find a new target. And that's moved into gender identity issues. And that is the demon, the demonization that we're dealing with right now. And Jeffrey is right in the middle. He's in the the throes of that. So, and that it's something that breaks your heart instead of enrages you. It's, it's a different, there's a lot more sympathy that you feel towards this individual than I think. I might normally feel in other films. Mm
1: -hmm. It was a, we, we just got back from, from visiting him in Tennessee and showing him the film personally before it launched. And it was a really powerful experience because his first response was, was that like, we really portrayed him accurately, and according to his own words. And that's something that we really wanted to do. And of course the film has a point of view which is that conversion therapy is harmful. And that point of view comes across and like what Jeffrey's scenes are juxtaposed against and in the broader context of the film. But we did want to treat him with the dignity and respect of speaking on his own terms, not in a both sides way because that's not, that doesn't apply to this issue at all. Um, but that it was, it was really moving that, that really even came through for him.
0: Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of the the, the people that you had access to that were willing to speak so openly about this and to see kind of their full self-realization, which is a struggle for anybody, but anybody that's actively being told to repress part of who you actually are. Um, Doing it in the best of circumstances is difficult. To go through that is a struggle that, fortunately, there's fewer people hopefully today feeling that than there were before, but it's still an issue that I think we absolutely need to address and think about when we see it moving into a different target that we can start to see that ahead of time instead of making these same mistakes over and over again every generation. Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So after this conversation, I went into Bookman's in search of something with a little bit of social commentary. But whenever I'm looking for something a little bit headier like that, I tend to gear or tend to lean more towards satire. Something uh, with a tongue firmly implanted in its cheek makes the medicine go down a little bit easier. And so when I was walking around in the fiction section, I came across a confederacy of dunces. It's a great novel. Um, If you haven't read it, it's by John Kennedy Toole, and I believe it was published in 1980, and this was 11 years after Toole's suicide. Uh, When the book was first released, it was a cult classic, and then it gained mainstream success, and eventually it earned Toole a posthumous Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1981, and is now considered canonical work of modern literature of the southern United States. Other novels on that list include The Color Purple, To Kill a Mockingbird, Tobacco Road, and Up With Slavery. So it's definitely amongst the great novels. Uh, The title refers to an epigram from John Swift's essay Thoughts on Various Subjects, Moral and Diverting. It goes like this, when a true genius appears in the world, you may know him by this sign, that the dunces are all in confederacy against him. The book's protagonist Uh, Ignatius J. Riley is an educated but lazy 30-year-old man living with his mother in the uptown neighborhood of the early 1960s New Orleans, who in his quest for employment has various adventures with uh, the colorful French Quarter characters. Uh, Our protagonist is overweight, unemployed, 30-year-old with a degree in medieval history. And as I mentioned, he lives with his mother. And so he spends his entire existence in utter loathing of the world around him. He's pretty much the embodiment of Twitter. If it was personified, if that cesspool was turned into a human, it it would be Ignatius Riley. He has that much contempt for the world. And the thing about this novel is that it's not only a commentary of the South and these characters at this time, but really it's a a, a commentary on the world we live in today. And I think that's why this is considered a classic, why people continue to revisit this novel year after year, and it's only gained in popularity. If you haven't read it, definitely seek it out. In fact, when I was in Bookman's, they had several copies of it. So if you want to go down to Bookman's, there's a good chance that they will have a copy of a confederacy of dunces there for you because remember bookman's they have your cool covered with all these people that were lined out the you had access to right away were there individual ones that you said oh if we get like john polk or was it somebody specifically that you're thinking like if that's the one that we kind of need to have to make to really show this full story
1: so Christine had access already to a number of the leaders, including John and and Randy and um, Michael, who who was was like a very early leader who left very immediately. Um, and we developed it out, you know, as we were continuing to research how the movement evolved and different key points we wanted to cover came to a vet, um, came to Julie because we really wanted a survivor to juxtapose with the stories of leadership and like how the leaders are sort of always looking for the next generation because this thrives on, there are always being like new leaders to replace the last and sort of the grooming of leadership. Um, and then Jeffrey, a contemporary leader of the movement. So like with most films, I think, you know, as, as we're getting deeper into the story and the topic, the casting process gets more and more focused. Um, and as as we're selecting the participants. And I also want to just note Christine has a very, the director, Christine Salakas, has a very um, intimate filmmaking style and she really works with very small crews. And I think you can really see that come through in the interviews where people are talking about, like the former leaders are very media savvy, practiced people, but you see a different side of them than you've seen in any other media that they've done because of this intimate, um, skill that Christine has and both how she structures her interviews and how she, how she shows up to people. Um, yeah.
0: No. and, And it comes through because this is, um, it, even when people are, you can tell when people are being honest and forthright. I think you can feel an honesty. You can feel when somebody's putting on a show, it's impossible, not, to change somebody by pointing a camera at them, and I guess the goal is to eliminate that feeling as much as possible. But it doesn't have that feeling of somebody putting on makeup and walking away, and now we're straightening the tie two seconds before we go on, and now it's time for your performance. You know, kind of time for you to dance. That it doesn't have that vibe ever to it, and um, that it does feel very intimate and personal, and that's important for a story like this because it is so small in the way that it's told because it's through it's a huge story but it's told through these individual voices and it feels like individuals just raising their hand and saying you know i have something to contribute to this and that's um tells a much larger story about us as a society and one that is really important um for not just the lgbtq community but a wider story about everyone in the society and the part that we've played in this story and so Mm. and and i hope that it will expand beyond that. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your your production company and with the focus that you have and those ideas of telling these stories that through what I've seen of your work, that it, they do tell broader stories about our society, despite having a very focused, purpose-driven um, outlook, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think We're really coming from a social change orientation. And I know that that can be somewhat controversial to talk about in film where there can be an assumption that you're choosing one or the other. Like you make political social issue docs or you make good films. And we think like good films can make political interventions and a film needs to be really like creatively and artistically well done in order to serve its purpose around impact and social change. And and, character-driven personal stories where you can get to some universal through a particular experience are are really important to us. Overall, we produce only nonfiction by and about underrepresented voices, and we're really interested in questions around authorship and how the core creative team has a stake in the communities that will be most impacted by the story um, on screen, And, and that can be like identity You know, identity members like communities that we're members of that can be experienced that can come down on a lot of lines. It's definitely not checking boxes, um, but but really making sure that that the core creative team knows knows what's at stake and what impact the film can have for the people most, most vulnerable to um, for the people that are most vulnerable. Um, and, and also we're, we we kind of build our slate looking at um, you know, no film is a silver bullet solution. So if we're looking at LGBTQ dignity or gender-based violence or anti-Black racism or state government overreach and surveillance, what are how can we build an uh, impact cumulatively film by film looking both at the work each specific film can do and the work that our slate can do overall in partnership with movement leaders you know who are experts in issues on the ground
0: and all the while making sure that while you're doing this that you're still making an entertaining film because yeah. god knows while social change is important and i'm in the bag there's so many documentaries that I see that I'm just, yep, I, I'm already a, a convert. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. But then when you start preaching at me, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I, I check yeah. out. It's okay. I, I've already got this. And, and it, you kind of, you fail on both sides because you're not entertaining the person that agrees with you and the person that doesn't agree with you will never watch that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're not trying to make pro- propaganda and also anything expected, you know, like you might know, you're going to know you're turning, tuning into a movie about conversion therapy, but there are so many unexpected moments and the characters themselves are so unexpected that even if you know a lot about conversion therapy or you don't even think it's happening or you're, you are you know, in a church that isn't affirming of LGBTQ folks, you're going to find something in the film that will draw you in emotionally, I hope.
0: Well, like most straight white males that are from a middle class, I assumed I knew a lot more than I actually did. Um, so, so it was uh, going into this. I thought I had an idea of what this would be like, of what um, the film would be. And I was just very surprised by the turns that it took in I I mean, in their lives and the reality of the situation, because it's just a reflection of people's experiences. So, it's always strange when you're talking about a documentary in the idea of story, even though it's being constructed that way. I mean, at the end of the day, it it is people's lives that are being reflected, and that was the thing about that. Because I, you know, I'm I'm a well-meaning, you know, liberal. I, I think I understand things, and no, I don't. This is while I understand an experience of feeling like an outsider. The, I could change my t-shirt and cut my hair and I would fit in and, you know, I would be fine. The, the things that I was ostracized for were things that I put onto myself instead of things that were internal, if mm. that makes sense. So um, I think this is just, uh, this is the kind of film that people like me really need to watch because we need to open up and have conversations about things like this and understand the role that we play in that um, mm. so that it's not just, making assumptions that this thing has gone away. And I, and I, and I love that about this and I love that you're working in the space with ideas like this and the mission that you have, that the, the people that are impacted the most are the people that you're putting behind the camera with that particular story is huge because it's, um, they're the stakeholders being the ones that are making the story that, that when you're work, it makes working the 16 hour days and doing those things a lot easier when um, you're doing it and you feel like you're doing something to help elevate your cause personally, as opposed to something that you just might believe in. Mm-hmm. So I love that. That's fantastic. Um, when is Prey Away going to be available for people to see on Netflix?
1: It's launching August 3rd on Netflix. So the clock is ticking. Yeah.
0: That's huge. I mean, that's, that's the place for documentaries. Now it's in our lifetime, we've seen documentaries go from this thing that you might see in a theater, maybe um, in a couple art houses on the coast. And when you went there, there was only a handful of people with, unless Michael Moore or a handful of other guys were directing these things. Um, And now you look at the top 10 and there's frequently documentaries that are going through there. And I love that the types of films that you're working on now can elevate and get that kind of awareness. It's never been a better time for documentary filmmaker than right now, I think.
1: Yeah. It feels like as a teenager, like I would find documentaries the same way I would find like new local punk albums, like, like hunting them down, like libraries or little, you know, indie stores or or things Mm -hmm. like this. And it was that kind of discovery. And now they're just at our fingertips. Um, I still like to keep that, punk rock feel of of documentary even though it's you know so much bigger. Um, I'm glad we have that kind of platform for documentary and this kind of storytelling and that audiences can find good documentaries that I can find good documentaries without you know,
0: hitting the pavement Um. okay so way off subject off topic but you've brought up the punk rock thing the florida thing uh, a couple times here was it the gainesville kind of punk rock scene that stuff that you were into or because when i think of like florida punk rock i guess it's just kind of the bigger kind of hot water music and against me and those kinds of bands Is, is that the scene that you were into or was it a little bit there was More. like
1: some of that, some of the South Florida like hardcore stuff, and then an extra sub subculture, which is Christian punk rock, which I was really into. Yeah, it's a thing.
0: Wow. Um, okay. I, yeah, Christian punk rock. I, I I remember there was a point when there was people. It was in the hardcore. So the the line between death metal and hardcore is almost I can't really tell the difference half the time. No and so there were these like hardcore metal Christian bands that I would hear that sounded so damn angry that it was like this is as aggressive as music gets. And I can't understand what you're saying anyway. So cool. Uh, I, I'm I guess I'm I'm there. I, I could listen to that yeah. as well as I could listen to anything else. <laughs> so then, do you still listen to that stuff at all then, or have you? <laughs>
1: Definitely not the Christian punk rock. Um, and, you know, I think my tastes have, you know, mellowed with my age, but there's definitely this nostalgia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's the, um, the fortunate thing about a lot of those bands from that era for me, um, a lot of those artists picked up acoustic guitars and they started doing the folkier <laughs> version of it now. So it's like, we all grew, we all got gray together. So it's like, yeah. you know, and when face-to-face is putting out an acoustic album. It's like, okay, all right. We're, we're just all a bunch of old guys now, this, this works out for me just fine. We're, we're not lying to anybody yeah. about who we are.
1: Yeah. They need to be able to like practice songs in their house while their babies take it, you know, take a nap. <laughs>
0: so, there's, yeah. a, there's a great documentary called the other F word about that. If you haven't seen that, um, oh, it's about yeah. punk rockers that, um, from kind of that era and the other upward being fatherhood and parenthood mm-hmm. and, you know, being a punk rock dad. And it's kind of an interesting little film. You might enjoy it considering your past. Cool. So not, not, cool. not as heavy into the Christian things, but yeah. it might, might be interesting. Even better though.
1: I really don't need to go back
0: there. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking time to do this today. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah. good luck with the film. Cause I think this is definitely it's already had a ton of recognition, rightfully so. And I know that this is going to be one that people are sharing with each other. So I fully anticipate thank this will be so a movie people talk about for a year. So thank you. I that appreciate it. Nice to
1: meet
0: you. You as well. Bye. Take care, Jess. Uh, bye-bye.
1: Time enough to figure you out.
0: Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.